way more than a simple home improvement. And it's definitely not a do-it-yourself project. What would it look like to give yourself entirely to God and earnestly seek Him in every area of your life? Let God renovate and renew your heart as He makes it His home. One night, I invited Jesus into my heart. What an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He started music where there had been stillness, and he filled the emptiness with his loving, wonderful fellowship. I have never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. In the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want you to settle here as your home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. The first room was the study, the library. This room of the mind is very small, but very important. In a sense, it's the control room of the house. Jesus entered with me and looked around at the books in the bookcase, the favorites on my computer and social media, the photos on the walls. As I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable. I had not felt self-conscious about this before, but now that he was there looking at these things, I was embarrassed. On the computer, there were sites and articles that a Christian had no business reading. As for the pictures on the walls, the imaginations and thoughts of my mind, some of these were shameful. I turned to him and said, Master, I know that this room needs to be renovated and made over. Will you help me make it what it should be? Yes, my child, he said, I'm always here to help you. First of all, take all the things that you're reading and looking at, which are not helpful, pure and true, and throw them out. Fill the library and your heart with scripture and meditate on it day and night. As for the pictures on the walls, it's difficult to control these images, but I have something that will help. He gave me a portrait of himself and said, hang this centrally on the wall of your mind. As I have walked with Jesus to earnestly seek him over the years, I have discovered that when my thoughts are centered upon Christ himself, His purity and power cause impure thoughts to back away. I'm so thankful that he has walked with me to bring my thoughts under his control as he has renewed my heart and mind to make it his home. Might our Lord say to you this morning about the things that you feed your mind? What might he say to you about where your mind tends to focus? This morning, we're continuing our series in the second week called My Heart, Christ's Home. And what we saw last week is that the moment that we believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we trust Him to be our Savior and our Lord. Our Lord comes to live within our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And He empowers us and strengthens us for the purpose of becoming like Jesus. 
for the purpose of thinking like Jesus, for the purpose of responding to life as we see it today in the way that Jesus would in our circumstances. And so, friends, what we're seeing this morning is bringing Jesus into our thought life and asking the question, what would he say to me today about the things that I am viewing, the things that I am allowing to come into my mind? Is Jesus really the Lord of our lives? Some of you may recognize or may have seen this. It was a documentary called Supersize Me. And some of you already know where I'm going with this, but it was a documentary about a guy who for 30 days, three meals a day, ate nothing but McDonald's food. Now, the, the, what, the way his body responded is probably pretty much like you would expect. He gained 25 pounds, and his health declined dramatically. Why? Because our bodies were not meant to consume that kind of a diet over time. And what I want you to think about this morning is what is the diet that you are feeding your mind? What is the diet of your mind? There's a great passage that we see in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. This is speaking of a person who is selfish, who is stingy, who is greedy. And then he says this about the person. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Isn't that true? As I think in my heart. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, the heart was the seat, not just of emotion. We think of the heart today, and we think emotion, feelings. That wasn't it. It was what we would call today both the mind, the thoughts, the place of decision-making, as well as feelings and emotions. So he says here, so for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks, as he believes, as he processes what it is that he believes in this world, so he becomes. And the same is true for you and for me. For as I think, so I become. What I feed my mind will literally determine what it is that I believe. And what I believe determines the decisions I make in this world. It's true for every single one of us. You've heard the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. Well, if I am feeding my mind, if I'm feeding my life garbage, things that are not true about God, things that are not true about me, things that are not true about the world, when I feed my mind these lies, these distortions, then it distorts the decision-making that I have in this world and in this life. For as I think, so I become. And the same is true for you. And so this morning, as we think about this, we're going to be looking at why it matters, why what we feed our minds matters. Now, when I say feed our minds, here's what I'm talking about. Social media. What kind of social media do you, do you allow to come into your mind, into your heart, into your life? What kind of songs do you tend to focus on? What kinds of books do you tend to read? What kinds of TV shows do you watch? All of this 
is bombarding your brain and bombarding your mind, and you're absorbing all of that, and you're going to be impacted by it, just as that person who ate McDonald's for three meals a day for 30 days had it impact his physical body, so bombarding our minds with things that God never intended for us is going to distort and impact our spiritual lives, our emotional lives, the way we live life in this world. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And so here's the first thing that I want you to see, and it's a warning. Beware of the power of your mind. I've alluded to it already, but beware of the power of your mind. Listen to what we read in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, this is now after God has come to us through the Holy Spirit. Christ is living in our hearts by faith. Now listen to what we read. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What does that mean? It means simply this, allowing Jesus to be the Lord, the one who leads and guides my life. You see, as I choose to obey God in my life, I am worshiping him. This is what it means to offer your bodies. It means offer your full and complete selves to him as a living sacrifice because we're still living in this world. So every day that I choose to follow Jesus, to submit to his lordship, his leading in my life, what happens is I am worshiping him because I'm offering my life as a living sacrifice. Now at that time, in the Jewish community, they were still offering animals as a sacrifice. What does God say now is pleasing worship to him? When I offer my life, my complete self to him, in obedience to him. He says this, this is your true and proper worship. Worship isn't just what we do on a Sunday morning as we gather together. Worship is not just what we do when we sing songs together. Worship is what we do when we submit ourselves in obedience, in love, in faith, and trust to our Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he loves us, believing that his plan is what is best for the kingdom of God. Friends, I love this. I love this. And for me, it is incredibly important that we think about this. Then he says this. You see, we can't follow Jesus as our Lord if we are being conformed to the patterns of this world. So here's what he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, to the, to the worldview of our culture. Do not conform to thinking like our culture thinks. Rather, he says, be transformed by what? Say it with me, the renewing of your mind. Be changed by the making new of your mind. You see, what happens is when our mind is transformed, our life is transformed. But if I am feeding my mind things that God never intended for me, 
It is impacting me in such a way that I begin to believe these things and I begin to live according to these things and not according to God's truth. What is the diet that you are feeding your mind? Most of us pay attention to the kinds of foods we eat because we know how they can impact our physical bodies. But what about, what about our soul? What about who we are? What about our spiritual life? What about how we live our life? It's dominated by what we believe, and I'll share that in just a moment. Make new your mind. Then he says this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. It struck me this week, as I reflected on this, as I studied this, that we cannot be kingdom-minded unless our minds are focused on the kingdom of God. I cannot be kingdom-minded in this world if my mind is not focused on the kingdom of God. I have to focus my thinking. I have to focus on on what it means to be God's child, to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this world today. I cannot be kingdom-minded unless my mind is focused on the kingdom of God. And the same is true for you. The same is true for you. And it's critically important that we understand this. So what is it that you're feeding your mind, and how is it affecting you? What happens is we believe something, and we act upon what we believe. And I've shared with you, when I do something that I know I shouldn't have done, or I don't do something I know I should have done, what I do is I backtrack, and I try to understand and uncover the belief that led to that decision. How did I get here? Why did I make that decision? Why did I make that choice? What is it that I'm believing that is driving me? Is it the truth of God's word or is it really reflected by what my culture around me believes about God, about myself, about the world, about eternity? What is driving me? You are driven by what you believe. If you don't believe that God loves you, if you don't believe that Jesus really did die for you, if you don't really believe that Jesus wants to use you to change the world and empower you and transform you, if you don't really believe that God is sovereign in control of all things, if you don't believe these things, it will, it will dictate the decisions and the choices you make in your life. If you don't believe that God can really forgive you for those things that you've done in your past, it will affect the way that you live your life. And so what you believe is critical. Here's the second thing I want you to see. We are called in the Bible to discipline our minds. Discipline our minds. Listen to what it says in Colossians 3, 1 to 3. We read this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Paul is saying, and, and what, the way that Paul would write is the first couple chapters, he will talk about the nature of, of God and, and often our nature and what Christ has done for us. And then we come, and now he says, so therefore live this way. And so he's making a transition in his writing in the book of Colossians. And he says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Past tense. 
Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above. Set your mind on the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. As Paul said, as we talked about last week in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. So what does that mean for me as I live my life? I've got to keep my focus as much as I can on the kingdom of God. I've got to keep my focus as much as I can on the things that God cares about. Well, what happens to us? We get focused on day-to-day things. It's so hard to live this way because we're not disciplined by what we think. We're not disciplined. We're not keeping our minds on the things of the kingdom of God. We're keeping our minds on how angry we are about something that happened or how fearful we are about something that could happen. And we're, we make decisions in light of those, those things, the things that our world cares about. And what does it do? It keeps us from being kingdom-minded. And when we're not kingdom-minded, we will not be effective for the kingdom of God. What you think will drive the decisions that you make. See, not only are, you affect, are your choices affected by what you think, but your emotions are affected and impacted by what you think. It's why two people can have the very same experience. One will see opportunity and potential to learn and to grow. Another person will be frightened and scared and unable to move forward. What's the difference? It's the same experience. The difference is in what ultimately they believe. What they believe about God, what they believe about themselves, what they believe about the world. Friends, what you believe matters. Is Jesus the Lord of your thoughts and your beliefs? Is he the Lord over what you are feeding your mind day by day by day? And so, Let me spend the rest of the time talking about a biblical process. This is not complete by any stretch. This is not everything I would love to talk to you about this morning. We could do an entire series just on this one issue. But I want you to think about a process that you can engage in to just take one step in a new direction. Friends, I want my life to be transformed. I want my life to be changed. How about you? I want, to be, I want to be more kingdom-focused. I want to be more usable by God in this world. I want my life to matter for Him, for eternity. And so I want to be changed. I want to look and act more like Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness. Are these things you hunger for? Are these things that you long for? Or let me ask you this. Are these things that your children long that you would have more in your life? That your your parents would long, that you would long your parents to have more in your life? That you would long that your friends have more in their lives as they long that you have more in your life? That you would respond to circumstances in this world as Jesus would? That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is talking about. Now, in this passage, 
in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 8. This is a passage that I studied a number of years ago that absolutely transformed me, began a process of transformation in my life. Listen to what it says. Paul warns us, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, how does shallow and deceptive philosophy take me captive? We've already described it. I believe a hollow and deceptive, deceptive philosophy or worldview, whatever word you want to use for it, and so I begin to live according to that shallow and hollow philosophy. And it takes me to places I don't want to be. And it impacts all my relationships. And I don't want to live that way. I don't want that to be what defines my life. And when I read this many years ago, I made a decision in that moment. I am going to deal with this. Let me read it again. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Friends, we are in a war. And that war is for us. And Christ fights for us. And we join him in that by choosing to be disciplined in what we feed our minds so that what we are receiving is truth so that when I respond to a circumstance in my life, when I respond to a situation in my life, I'm responding the way that Christ would want me to respond and not in a way that reflects the pattern of my world. Now that's hard because I'm bombarded every day with all sorts of things that are contrary to the ways of God. So what did I do when I read this? Um, I, I, what I began to do was to really understand my life and to try to understand ultimately what it is I believe, not what I claim to believe. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, you will be known by your fruits. What does that mean? The fruits are the impact of the choices I make and the choices I make. I will be known by the choices I make in my life and how they affect people. That's my fruit. And what he's saying is those who make Jesus their Lord will be known by fruit that honors the kingdom of God. You will be known by your fruit. Well, how's your fruit? As I looked at my life, I began to see things that were very dishonoring to the people in my life, to me, but particularly to my Lord Jesus. And what I did is I began to identify, okay, what do I really believe? Not what do I claim to believe, but what do I really believe? And I began to identify lies that began when I was just a little, little guy. And it's true for all of us. We, we grow up with little childlike beliefs that can, if we don't deal with them, can stay with us for our entire lives. And I had to begin to deal with those things. And I began a process that I want to share with you right now. It's a process, uh, first of all, well, let me show you the bondage here. Here's the steps to bondage. I listened to a lie. I listened to a lie, okay? And I just keep filtering it in my head. Now, there's all sorts of lies. I can never be forgiven. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, worth being, I'm not worth loving. 
I, I can't, I can't, even with God's help, I can't deal with this, with this addiction. So we give up. I can't change. I'll always be angry. I'll always be bitter. I, life is about people serving me. I deserve to be served. Life's all about me. I just think about me. I'm not safe unless I have a lot of money. I'm not secure unless I'm healthy physically. What does it say? Listen, we listen to the lie, we dwell on the lie, and the more you dwell on it, the more apt you are to believe it. Because you just repeat, you repeat and repeat that lie in your head, and it just keeps going through your head, going through your mind, going through your mind. What happens? You're going to act on the lie. And the more you act on the lie, the more you become a slave to the lie. I will guarantee you everybody in this room struggles with this in areas of their life. I still do. I'm still identifying things that surprise me. I say I believe this, but I'm doing this. What happened? Or where's the peace of God? I'm so anxious and worried and afraid. It's because it's because of what I believe about God is, isn't true about him. This is why it says in 1 John, perfect love, speaking of God, drives out all fear. Now, what are the steps to freedom? I say careful self-examination, but what I mean by that is identifying the lies. I'm going to share one with you in just a moment and show you how this works. But I, um, it's one that I identified a few years ago, um, or actually a number of years ago, but I, I didn't know where it came from. Careful self-examination. And then I go to the Bible and I discover what the truth is. And everything you find, you'll be able to find clarity in the Bible that speaks to that, to that lie. That's the opposite of that lie. What did Jesus do when Satan lied to him in his three temptations? What did he do? He quoted scripture. What you're saying to me isn't true. Let me tell you, Satan, what is true. Why did he, why did he not get overwhelmed by the lie and submit to the lie? Because he knew what was true and he repeated the truth. And this is how we battle as well. So I discover the truth. Now meditate on the truth. What is meditation? Now some of you might go, oh, wait a minute, is this Eastern... Uh, Far Eastern, some kind of weird theology. No, the Bible talks about meditation. What is meditation? It's just focused thinking. How many of you have ever worried? Just a few of us. You already know how to meditate, because that's what worry is. You have a thought that's stirring worry, and you keep thinking it, and thinking it, and thinking it, and thinking it. You already know how to meditate. You're meditating on the fear. And what happens? The fear gets bigger and God gets smaller. Careful examination. Discover the truth. Meditate on the truth. One of the best ways to do that is to memorize a passage. Pray through the truth. Believe the truth. And then you act on the truth. And that's where freedom comes from. That's where freedom comes from. You see, we're going to serve somebody. I want to serve the Lord. I don't want to serve my culture. I don't want to serve my fears. I don't want to serve my insecurities. I don't want to serve 
anything, anybody, but my Lord Jesus Christ. But I have to make him Lord in order to do that. So what would be maybe a lie that you struggle with? Well, let me share just one of many from my life. I could share many of these. But one of them that I struggled with was um, we were doing this whole thing on generosity. This about seven years ago. And I know that in my life, I've always struggled with being generous. Now, I was being obedient, but the heart wasn't there. Thanks to my wife, we were, we were doing what we were supposed to do and giving, but it, I, I wasn't saying, hooray, what a joy. And I began to understand. See, my parents grew up as children of the Depression, of the Great Depression. They had a scarcity view of life. What does that mean? I may never have enough. What if I don't have enough? I may never have enough. And I grew up believing that. I may never have enough. But Beth, if we give, we're giving in a way. It, I mean, the reality is I don't have it anymore. And then I began to identify that. And as I studied the Word of God, what I, this is what I've understood. God is a God of abundance. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be wealthy. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean I'm going to be rich. I'm not saying that. His abundance goes beyond finances. His abundance comes through His presence. His abundance comes as I understand that He is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over my life. And then I belong to Him now and forevermore, and nothing can change that reality. He is a God of abundance. And I began to see that differently. And now giving is a great joy for me, being generous, whether it's to somebody at a restaurant, whether it's somebody in our life, whether it's the church. We love being generous. In fact, when I still write checks every week. You know, though, some of you have never heard of checks. There's these little things that, and we pound them out with a rock and a, and a Don't you love it when you get in line at a grocery store and somebody pulls out the checkbook and, oh, no. <laughs> now, every time I write that check, I put on it in gratitude. Thank you. I could preach a whole series on how God has set me free from, from this. The more I give, the more my heart and the more I trust, the freer I am. Can you see the difference? When I see the world through scarcity, I'm afraid. I'm insecure. When I see the world through the abundance of God, I'm filled with joy because I know that my life belongs to Him. Do you see that? It's so different. So, let me just quickly go through these last few. Choose, oh, this is so good. I hope you will think about these things as the day goes on, but choose to focus your mind on what is excellent and what is praiseworthy. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, Paul writes, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is such a profound passage. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Have you ever just thought deeply about the goodness of God? This is such a powerful passage. For some of you, you live with a lot of fears. You live with with, um, the expectation that... I used to live with this. I was always... If something good happened to me, I thought, oh, man, that means something bad's going to happen to me. What? Like there's a yin and a yang in the world? It's got to all even out? That's not biblical. And I was negative. That might surprise some of you. God can transform this. I was very pessimistic and negative. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think about such things. What if every day for the next month, if, you're, if you have a roommate or if you have a, um, if you have a family, if every day you sat together and you said, hey, let me tell you from today something that is beautiful and wonderful and excellent and praiseworthy. Let me, let me share that. Or if you're by yourself, just think about at the end of the day, what from this day was lovely? What from this day was pure? What from this day did I see that was true? See what God does. The next one, think deeply about biblical passages. I love doing this, but you know that about me. I, it says, blessed in, in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That word meditate comes from the same word where we get ruminate. To ruminate is something that a, call, a cow does, right? They eat grass, this is a little bit graphic, but they eat grass, chew up, chew it up really good, and then they barf it. Then they eat it, and they chew it up real good, and they throw it up again. They do this a number of times. I'm not a cow expert, so I'm not going to try to be too specific. But what are they doing? They're getting every bit of nutrient from that grass. They're getting everything that their body needs from that grass. Sometimes it's just powerful to take a few verses and 15, 20 minutes, just go through it and read it and read it and read it and just keep taking the nutrients, the spiritual, eternal nutrients that come from that passage. Friends, that can transform your life. In fact, I'll tell you, it will transform your life. Because that's what we read in Romans 12, 2. And then... Think deeply about the works of God from the past. I remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. What if you meditated on some of the great stories throughout biblical history? Some of the great stories as you think about who God is. What if you looked at your own life and you thought, oh my goodness, this is where I see God at work. 
This is what I saw God doing in my life. This is what, something that I saw God accomplishing in me and through me. And you began to just reflect deeply about these incredible blessings. You know what happens? God gets bigger. And fears get smaller when we look at who God is and what he's done. And then the next one's very similar. We're looking at the nature of God. The glorious splendor of his majesty, his wondrous works, I will meditate. They will speak of the might of his awesome deeds, and I will declare his greatness. Do you hear just how powerful that is? You see, when I understand who God is, I really begin to understand the nature of his grace and his love and his goodness and his kindness, and I begin to comprehend these things. What happens? It transforms me because God gets bigger in my life and my fears get smaller. You see, you... you, The more you meditate on what you're afraid of, the bigger those fears become, and the more real those things become. The more I focus on God, the fears are chased away because God is greater yet. And then finally, and I just threw this one in because I think it's, think positively about people. What's happening in our world today, we're being trained to really run people down, to be negative about people that, who disagree with us, and to, and to, say things about them, and, and, and the more that we think that way, the more angry we are at them, and the more we don't like them. But you know, even in some of the most rotten scoundrels in our world, there is often something good there in that person. So that person who hurt me, instead of focusing on the hurt, focusing on what they did, and saying oh, my, in my mind, oh, I don't like them, they're terrible people, oh, you know what? I've seen how that person has loved their child. I've seen how that person has has served the Lord. I've seen how that person, yeah, maybe that person had a bad day and a bad moment, but there's there's still good things to celebrate. Friends, what would God say to you as you walk through your mind? What would Jesus say to you about the images that you hang in your mind about the thoughts that you allow in your mind, about the things that you feed your mind. What would Jesus say to you today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I I thank you for every person who's here and every person who's listening online. And Lord, our prayer is that by the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, we would think deeply about the diet of our mind, as many of us think deeply about what we, physical food we put into our bodies, may we think deeply about what we are putting in our minds because ultimately that's even more important. Lord, transform us by your truth. Set us free from the, the addictions of our lives. Set us free from those areas where we're, we're in bondage. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.